And good morning and welcome to Resurrection Sunday Morning with West Concord Baptist Church. Although we can't be together physically, we have gathered online to celebrate the hope that comes with the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm calling the resurrection history's hinge of hope. Because before the advent of our Lord, as we looked forward as a people, we looked forward to the coming Redeemer. The nation of Israel prophesied all over the Old Testament of the coming Redeemer who would pay for the sins of humanity. So there was a hope looking forward. And then after the advent of our Lord, after His birth, death, burial, resurrection, we look back and celebrate and commemorate the hope that we enjoy because He rose from the dead. And so quite frankly, the resurrection of our Lord is the hinge of hope upon which history turns. As a matter of fact, because Jesus is risen, we have been introduced to a new world, the kingdom of God Almighty. The uh, scholar N.T. Wright said this. He said, the message of Easter is God's new world being unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you and I are now invited to belong to it. You know, with the world we've got now that's such a mess, it is so comforting to know that when all of this is said and done, we have a new world to look forward to, eternity in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord. Until then, we have the ability to walk with the Lord as Jesus has risen. And when we place our faith in Him, He comes to dwell in us and we walk together with Him and He with us. N.T. Wright goes on in a lengthier quote to say this. He says, left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy. In other words, things winding down, things going south. He says, we continue to acquiesce in the general belief that things may be getting worse but that there's nothing much we can do about them. In other words, we lose hope. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, we say, especially in times like this when we're dealing with all the junk of this pandemic. We think, will it ever end? Will it ever stop? What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. But as N.T. Wright says, we are wrong about that. He goes on to say, our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day. With our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first, the resurrection of Jesus, and as a foretaste of the second, the time when Jesus will come and reestablish His kingdom on earth. So no, we can't give up. No, we can't just give in. We, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, if we've trusted Him, then we are resurrection people. We have been raised spiritually, and yes, one day we will be raised ultimately to be with Him. So we don't give up, even though the world is falling apart. We keep pushing, we keep plugging, because the resurrection is our hope. It is the hope that hinges history. And we need to focus on that on this wonderful Sunday morning. Let's, as we do that, bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the wonders of technology that give us the opportunity to share the resurrection hope, not just to our people, but to anybody who listens and watches. And Father, we do celebrate. We do this because we have hope, because Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. He is alive. 
And Father, he lives with us, lives in us who believe. And Father, we are resurrection people. And we pray that, Father, we can draw on that hope, that we can hang on that hope as our lifeline to pull us through, not just this difficult pandemic, but through all the struggles and difficulties of life. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection today and give him glory and pray, Father, that you would give us hope through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was quite the weekend leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And it was no accident that it occurred at the time of the Jewish Passover. The Passover meal was a celebration and, a, well, more of a commemoration of the fact that the nation of Israel, while they were in captivity to Egypt, enslaved to Egypt, and God was trying to pry Israel out of the clutching hands of Pharaoh, he sent the death angel as one of the many plagues to plague Egypt. And in order to save themselves, the nation of Israel had to post the blood of a spotless, blemish-free lamb on the doorposts of their home to indicate their faith in God. And so the Passover meal was instituted to commemorate the passing over of the angel of death and the salvation of the Jewish people. And for that moment in history, it had that significance. But as we look back with the knowledge of the New Testament institution of the Lord's Supper, we understand that that was a foreshadowing of the redemption of the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, who shed His blood on a cross and as we apply that blood to our lives through faith in Him, the angel of death yet again passes over us and we're able to spend eternity with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, as we was moving into the weekend where He would give His life and subsequently rise, it occurred at the time of the Passover so He could demonstrate that significance. You see, there had to be a crucifixion before there was a resurrection. There had to be a death before there was a raising to new life. And we know on that weekend, on that Friday, and, 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 and on that weekend, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And they gathered to celebrate what Jews celebrated at that time and had celebrated every year was the Passover. But he was using it as a kind of a preparation for them. He had already told them three or four times that he would be taken, crucified, abused, buried, and that he would rise again from the dead. But the disciples, even though they'd followed him three years, they didn't quite get it yet. They struggled with the concept of his death and his crucifixion. And so this was no accident that it occurred the time of the Passover, so he can show them a new premise to this Passover meal, that he can demonstrate to them a new viewpoint, which really isn't new, but they had never thought to view it in this way in that he would designate a portion of the Passover meal to indicate the fact that he would be the sacrificial lamb, that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed. And so as we begin this morning, we want to take time to join those disciples in this recognition of this event. As Jesus gives them a new premise for the old Passover. And so if you're set and prepared today, we're going to join them as we experience the Lord's Supper, as we call it, together. As He shares with them in this meal, and as He redesignates or, or renews the understanding of the bread, the unleavened bread, leavening meaning sinfulness and unleavened meaning without sin because Jesus was without sin. And we take the bread and we break it, and it's a symbol of Jesus being broken on the cross. And we take the cup of juice 
and we drink it as a symbol of His blood that was shed. You know, as we come to this meal, and as they came to that meal, there were prayers, and, and they had to prepare for it and get themselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually ready for it. So one of the things we're going to do as we do this together this morning is I want you to join with me as a time in a time of prayer as we do when we go to meals anyway. We ask God's blessing upon it, and certainly Jesus did that. But we want to take a time of confession. We want to come to this meal not only with our hands clean, but with our hearts and minds clean. And so I want to take just a moment as I pray and ask God's blessing on this meal and on these elements. I want to encourage you with your family or you by yourself to just pause. And as I'm praying, take time to confess those things in your life that you know are wrong and share that with the Lord. Uh, agree with Him about that and then ask His blessing on the elements and ask Him to show you in a fresh way all the significance of this time together. So let's take just a moment and bow as we observe this institution. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that millennia ago, You saved Your people Israel from the specter of death, the death angel. That, Father, by the placing of the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorposts of their home, Father, the death angel passed over them, and they were saved, and they were redeemed. And Father, they commemorated that with this wonderful meal. That Father, they recognized that the broken bread is the body of the Lamb. That the blood was the cup of redemption. And that Father, through trusting Jesus, the Lamb of God, Father, we have the opportunity to place the, the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our hearts and on our minds and of our lives as we place our faith and trust in Him. Father, we come to this table, Lord, seeking cleansing. Father, we as a people have sinned before you. And Father, as I pray, many are confessing their sin, Lord, to you in the quietness of their heart. And Father, I pray that you'll reach into my heart and forgive me of those things wherein I have failed you. And I pray that you would cleanse us spiritually and prepare us to receive this wonderful meal as we, Lord, look to you, as we thank you for the price that was paid on the cross. Lord, bless the elements, bless this meal. Teach us and, and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the disciples gathered in the upper room with Jesus, it tells us in Mark chapter 14, where we're going to begin this morning, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 22, it says, And as they were eating, they were eating the meal of the Passover, as Jesus was about to institute this new premise, this fresh and new understanding of the Passover. And he says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body. And this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken on the cross. Now, Jesus would have used flat bread because there was no leaven, just like there is no sin in Jesus. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. So as we do this this morning, we're going to go ahead and recognize this as a symbol of the broken body of Jesus Christ on our behalf. If you would, let's take of that and partake of it together. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you clothed yourself in flesh, came to this earth. Father, lived among humans as a human. Father, you experienced all the physical struggles that humans deal with on a regular basis. And Father, you ultimately experienced agony, abuse, 
and death on the cross for us. You allowed your body to be broken so that it might be a bridge to heaven. And for that, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So he, he demonstrated what the bread represented in the Passover. Not only that, but it says in verse 23, Then he took the cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. In the Passover meal, the cup of juice or wine was called the cup of redemption. It symbolized the fact that blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And so Jesus took that cup and he designated it the way God intended to in the first place, that it would represent his blood that would be shed. So as we take the cup, and if you have it, if you would join me in taking of the cup and reflecting on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and our Father, we thank you, Lord, for not only the broken body, but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For, Lord, you said the life of the flesh is in the blood. And you said also without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Father, if we were to pay for our own sin, we'd have to pay for it by our shed blood, by our death. And, Father, that death would be eternal, separation from you forever. But, Father, we thank you for the Son of God who came, took on flesh, allowed his flesh to be broken as we just demonstrated, and allowed his blood to be shed on the cross so that we might have life eternal. Father, you take that blood and through faith in Jesus, you cleanse us with that blood. So that, Father, as we trust Him as our Savior, Father, the shed blood covers and washes our sins, and, Father, the death angel passes over us. And one day when these bodies do wear out and die, we'll be in heaven with You. Father, we're so grateful for the price that has been paid. We're so thankful for what You did for us. And, Father, we thank You also that that is not the end of the story as we continue to look at Your Word. Bless us, Lord. Thank You for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. In His name we pray. Amen. So he gives them a new premise with the broken body and the shed blood. But not only that, he also tells them that he's, that he's going to drink of this, of this juice again. He's going to drink of the vine again. And he gives them a, a novel promise. And again, he'd already told them that he would be crucified. He told them that he would rise, but they still hadn't got it. And he goes on to say, after he does the... Uh, designation of the elements. He says in verse 25, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the kingdom of God, the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So he gives a new premise to the Lord's Supper, and he also gives them a novel promise that there is a hope, there is a future, that even though he knew and he had told them that he would be crucified the next day, that something was coming. And so he was preparing them for all of these things. He was getting them ready using the Passover. And what was he preparing them for? Well, quite frankly, if we look at the cross of Jesus Christ in a realized fashion, he was preparing them for the devastation that was about to come to pass. The devastation of sin and salvation meeting, the devastation of the Son of God who had never tasted death, never experienced death. God in the flesh, He was about to not only taste death and agony, but all of the sin of humanity was getting ready to be poured out upon Him. 
And you know the story in the New Testament. You've read the Gospels of all the agonies that Jesus had to endure, all the torturings, all the humiliations that he had to endure leading up to the cross. And that was bad enough. Many of us would buckle under it quickly, but he endured the horror and the torture. And then it was time for him to actually be on the cross. That was the moment of devastation in a real sense because the God of the universe suddenly became the sin of humanity. And what a meeting, what a devastating time. I want you to notice as you take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark 15. We're going to go from chapter 14 to chapter 15, and we're going to see this demonstration played out. And so in Mark 15, as we look at that, we're going to jump down to verse 33. Again, you know the story, and I would encourage you to go back and read through it in a devotional way. But in verse 33, Jesus has been on the cross now for quite a while. And it says in verse 33, Now when the sixth hour had come, he was quite worn out, and, and you can imagine the agony that he had endured. And we see this cataclysm taking place. It says, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In other words, the Bible tells us elsewhere that it was like midnight in the middle of the day because some theologians have speculated that because Jesus had taken on the sin of humanity, the sin of humanity in all of its putridity, in all of its disgust, in all of its ugliness, it had been heaped on Christ, and the Father who could not look at sin had to turn His face. And it is believed by many scholars and theologians that maybe God, in a sense, turned the lights out so that His Son would not suffer further humiliation by being gaped at while He became sin for humanity. And this cataclysm of sin and, and sanctity meeting, the cataclysm of, of the battle for salvation occurring. And notice this on verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's Jesus hanging on the cross in the dark feeling so alone, even though he was surrounded by people, and we'll see their response in just a minute. He felt like, in, in, in a real sense, was alone in a, in a way he had never experienced before because he was the second member of the Godhead. He was the second member of the triunity of God. And suddenly, in a real sense, it was like God had turned his face. God the Father had turned his face on God the Son. And what a horrible, agonizing cataclysmic feeling that he must have experienced. So we see the cataclysm of Jesus' situation. We also see the cynicism of the crowd. Look at verse 35. Some of those who stood by, when they heard that, said, Look, he is calling to Elijah. They thought he was calling to Elijah the prophet for help. And then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, vinegar-like in its aspect, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. In other words, they were making sport of him. They were making fun of him. They were doing catcalls and insults and misunderstanding his struggling words that he was expressing. They were having a good time at his expense. And so you see the cynicism, and even people today, you know, here we are in the midst of the pandemic, and we're having our, our leaders call for prayer. And some of our politicians are saying, well, forget prayer. Prayer's not going to do anything, and they mock prayer. They mock our leaders. They mock our pastors and our church leaders for seeking God's face. 
And they ask the question, well, where is God in all of this? Well, let me tell you, God is here, as we're going to see in just a moment. So we see the cataclysm of Jesus struggling of sin and sanctity battling, of truth and terror coming together. And we see the cynicism of the, of the people gathered, the religious people actually, gathered at the foot of the cross. And then finally in verse 37, we see the realism. Notice it says in verse 37, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed His last. We know from John 19 verse 30 that He said, It is finished. In the Greek, totelestai, paid in full completely accomplished. Salvation was won, bought and paid for on the cross. And that was what he shouted. In verse 38 and 39, these, these are interesting verses. It says, Then the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. So many events took place at the time of Jesus' last breath. Go back to the book of Matthew and read the last few chapters there, and you'll get even a broader sense of it. But I want you to notice verse 39. So when the centurion stood opposite him... And he saw he, that he cried out like, like this and breathed his last. Notice what this Roman centurion said. He said, truly this man was the Son of God. You know, all the religious Jews and priests and scribes were gathered around the cross. And they were insulting Jesus and they were, they were hateful and they were making sport of him and, and giving him a hard time. The religious people who should have known better, they knew the Old Testament. They had seen these prophecies. But no, no, it took a Roman centurion, a Gentile, ignorant of the things of God, who realized that this truly was the Son of God. You know, it's amazing how we Christians, we are so close to the Lord. We walk with Him, or at least we should be daily. We read our Bibles. We attend church. We sit under sermons and lessons. We read devotional books. And yet there are times when we don't get it. There are times when we don't see truly this was the Son of God and is the Son of God. And this was the devastation that it was the cross of, of Calvary. And yes, if the story had ended there, Jesus would be just another persecuted, martyred religious leader. It would be just another interesting story to fill the annals of religious history. But huh, it didn't end there, did it? He didn't stay crucified. He died. He breathed his last. It is finished. They took him down from the cross. They wrapped him they, in, 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 in claws and they laid him in the grave. He was, in fact, dead. When he died, the Roman soldier put a spear through his side to make sure he was dead. Jesus was gone, and they thought, this is the end of the story. We're through with him. Not only the Romans thought that, but the Jews thought that. Not only did the Jews think that, but the disciples thought that. They were, while this was all going on, the, the disciples, except for John, they were hiding they were fearful. He had told them he would be raised. He had told them he'd be resurrected, resurrected, but they didn't believe it. So they were hiding. So they took him down from the cross and they buried him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy Jew who was a follower of Jesus and sympathetic to his ministry. And so Jesus laid in that tomb. And then on the first day of the week in the morning, we're going to go to Mark chapter 16 because we're going to see that the devastation of the cross was followed by the resurrection of our Lord. In Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. 
So that, that day after the Passover, after everything had been accomplished, and after the Sabbath, these ladies came, the mourners came. And the mourners came to do what they couldn't do earlier because the Passover had happened, the Sabbath was coming, they could not properly take care of the dead body of Jesus like they should have and like the law requires. So these ladies came back to the grave. And what did they expect? Well, they expected to find a dead body. They expected to find a dead body that needed their attention to properly and respectfully prepare it and, uh, and get that ready. So they were expecting to find death. His disciples were still cowering in a room somewhere because they were afraid that they would be next to be crucified. So it was just another Sunday morning. Some were fearful. Some were dutiful. They were going about their business. And it says in verse 2 that these mourners came very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Because these were just a few ladies, and this stone piece of, 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 of door was huge. They couldn't move it by themselves. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. That was the first surprise of the day. They expected to come find a dead body in a sealed tomb and weren't sure how they were going to get in there to minister to that body. But when they came, the stone was rolled away. What was going on? It goes on to say, for it was large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. It wasn't what they expected at all. Even though Jesus had told them he would be raised. You know how quick we are to believe, or how slow we are rather to believe. How quick we are to, to set things aside. But Jesus had told them I would be crucified, buried, and I would rise. And these ladies came. They didn't expect to find a risen Savior. They expected to find a dead teacher. They expected to find a sealed tomb. And they expected to find it abandoned. But when they got there, they found the door had been opened. And instead of a dead body, they saw an, a very interesting young man. Actually, a pair of angels were there to greet them. And so they expected death, but the mourners found a miracle. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, this angel, as we find out reading the other Gospels, Do not be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. Listen, he is risen. He is, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples with Peter and that he is going on before you into Galilee. There you will seek him as he said to you. So they found not a, a dead body, not a sealed tomb, but in this resurrection, the mourners realized the miracle. Jesus had risen. There were angels there to tell them he had risen. Everything he said came to pass. It says in verse 8, So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You know, we talk about encountering God and encountering God's miraculous power. We want to live on the mountaintop. But you know what I've noticed whenever I read Scripture? That anytime someone encounters the miracle, miracle power of God, it causes them fear and great respect. We're awed by it. We're amazed by it. They expected death. The mourners expected death, but they received a miracle. What are you expecting today? You know, we're in this pandemic. Are you expecting to get sick? Are you expecting to struggle? We are struggling and some are getting sick. 
but there's still a miracle working God in the midst of us. How do you know that, Pastor? Because his son rose again from the dead. You know, other people religious worship religious leaders who are dead, but we as Christians worship a saved, a raised Savior, and we're excited about that. And so that's what we celebrate today, the resurrection. It provides hope in history. Yes, we're going through a difficult time, but if you go back and look at history, this isn't the first time humanity has struggled and suffered. The reality of our world is this is a world that is broken, a world that is confusing, a world that is struggling in sin. We're fallen, and our world is corrupted by that fall. And ever since the dawn of humanity, we've struggled with pandemics, with wars, with famine, with sickness. And so therefore, we all have gone through so much. But that's why Jesus came to save us from that, to give us hope, a confident anticipation of a future perfection and reality. And that's what the resurrection is all about. That's why we have hope. And so, yes, we should celebrate the resurrection. No, we can't be here wearing our finest pastel clothing. No, we can't be here singing the wonderful songs and lifting our voices together. But listen, Jesus is alive. He's raised. And because He is raised, we have hope. We have confident anticipation of better things. He's going to raise us out of this pandemic. And yes, one day He's going to raise us to new life. So there should be a celebration. And that's the last thing we want to look at this morning is the celebration. Go to your Bibles and turn to Mark 16, verse 14. We're going to jump ahead a few verses. And we're going to look at this celebration of the resurrection. He had to do a preparation with them with this whole communion celebration as he redesignated these elements to demonstrate his death on the cross. He prepared his disciples for what was coming. And then we see the devastation of the cross of Jesus Christ. But this devastation wasn't the end of the story because we see the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. And so we should celebrate. Now, I want you to look at the celebration. You know, when Jesus and they had finally realized that he had risen, there was not a party given. They didn't go out and get ham and potato salad and sit down and have a feast. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to notice the type of celebration that we see in, in the Gospels. In verse 14, it says, Later, after he had risen from the dead, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. Judas, of course, uh, was gone. As they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Well, listen, when these ladies ran to tell them, they said, Y'all are crazy. You can't say that. He's not risen. What are you doing? Even though Jesus had told them he would rise, they hadn't yet bought into it. It wasn't until they actually saw him and that he had risen. We know from the book of John that, that Thomas had to, had to be proved, uh, had to see proof rather through touching his nail prints and the wound in his side. You know, I'll believe if I can see. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So, Post-resurrection, he began with ridicule and rebuke. You guys didn't get it. I'm raised. I told you that. And notice how he, what he says in verse 15. And here's how we should celebrate the resurrection. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. 
You know, when we think of a celebration, we think of a party. But the celebration of the resurrection in reality is a celebration of a purpose rather than a party. We should celebrate with a, with a purpose-driven life, as Rick Warren calls it, to go out and to take that good news of that resurrection to people who don't know it. Listen, there are people hurting all over the world, all over our community and our neighborhoods, even in our families. And that hurt is magnified by this pandemic. People are struggling. And we talk about we can't get together and celebrate. Listen, you can celebrate the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection by going to your neighbors, by going to your families with the purpose of telling them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Go to them with that purpose-filled desire to take the news to them. And so he says, go with a purpose rather than just have a party. And quite frankly, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We worship on Sunday because the Lord rose on a Sunday. And rather than just have a weekly party or a yearly party, we should be focused and purposed with the task of sharing the gospel, which leads us to the next point, a mission rather than just a memory. You know, often people say, well, it's Easter. I should go to church on Easter because I should remember our risen Lord. You know, sort of like a perfunctory act. It's sort of like just something that we do and we've always done. Listen, the celebration of the resurrection is a mission rather than just a memory. We celebrate the resurrection by intentionally going out, by intentionally leaving our comfort zones, leaving our churches. Listen, God, through this pandemic, has forced us out of the church building. People kind of get discouraged about that, and yes, I can't wait to gather and meet again and worship again. I can't wait for that. But you know what? I'm not going to get down about it. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to go out in my neighborhood as I'm walking. And as I'm socially distancing, I can still talk to somebody about the gospel. As I'm going about the things I need to do, I can still share the good news of Jesus Christ online. This is our opportunity to take the gospel on mission. And what a better time. People are struggling. People are looking for answers. They're longing. They're needing hope. And the resurrection is the hinge of hope upon which history turns. And so, yes, the celebration, we are celebrating. We're excited. But let's not just have a party. Let's have a purpose. And that purpose is sharing the gospel. Let's not just think of the resurrection as a memory. Let's think of it as a mission opportunity to take the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. Oh my goodness, we are so blessed. We are so blessed right now to be able to share this message. We are so blessed as believers to know Jesus. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God loves you. We, we observed communion. We demonstrated that He took His body and allowed it to be broken on the cross, allowed His blood to be shed. He did that for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he had you on his heart and mind. And he took that cross for you and for me. He died there, and in his death, he took the blame for all that we'd ever done wrong or will do wrong. He paid for them there. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, and he's alive. And he's alive, and he lives to give eternal life to all who would seek him by faith. You come to Him and you confess your sin, admitting, yes, I've sinned, I've fallen short. Listen, all of us have. There is nobody perfect in this world, including me and you. Jesus died for our imperfection. The perfect Savior died for an imperfect people. 
and he paid our sin debt. He was buried three days later. He rose and he's alive. And that's what we celebrate today. That's why we're excited about Jesus today. He's not a dead religious leader. He's a risen Savior. And he's here to give salvation to all who would come to him by faith and trust. No, you can't earn heaven. You can't be religious. No religion's going to buy heaven. You can't be religious enough. You have, come, you have to come to him by faith, casting your trust in him and him alone. You see, we are living in difficult days. The reality is humanity has been living in difficult days since the fall of Adam and Eve. Oh, the difficulty manifests itself in different ways. But nonetheless, it's all been tough. It's all been difficult. That's the real world that we live in. And the Bible tells us that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. You know, we sing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, ultimately, I guess that's true. But uh, practically, the devil is the prince of this world. But he's been defeated. I love what Chuck Swindoll said as I close this, this morning. Chuck Swindoll says, The devil, darkness, and death may swagger and boast. The pangs of life will sting for a little longer. But don't worry. The forces of evil are breathing their last. Not to worry. He is risen. And he's alive. Glory to God. Pandemic or no, we are blessed beyond belief. And we have hope the confident anticipation of salvation and of a Savior who loves us. Cling to Him today. Celebrate that hope by finding somebody who doesn't know Jesus and tell them. Make it your mission. Let's share the good news. He is alive. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for the privilege of sharing Your Word. And Lord, I pray that as we close this time together, that, Lord, we would take the rest of this day and, yes, even the rest of our lives and make it our purpose to share the good news of the Savior who sacrificed Himself, who allowed His body to be broken, His blood to be shed on the cross. Father, allowed Himself to experience death and, 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 and He allowed Himself to be placed in a tomb. And, Father, we thank You that that tomb couldn't hold Him, but He rose and He's alive. And, Father, because He's alive, He gives us hope. He gives us hope for eternity, a confident anticipation of a home with you through faith in Him. But Father, He gives us hope now because, Lord, You are a God of resurrection. You are a God of redemption and raising. You will raise us out of this pandemic one way or another. And so, Father, give us the, the purpose to go out and tell others about Christ. Give us the mission to be your ministers, your, your evangelists. And Father, may we take the message of Easter that we hear. And Lord, may we take it out and share it and make this one of the greatest Resurrection Sundays we've ever experienced in our Christian lives. Father, for those who are listening to my voice and watching this video who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would stop now, get on their knees, and go to you confessing their sin, abandoning their righteousness, and trusting in Jesus, the risen Jesus, as their Savior. Bless us now as we continue to celebrate, and bless us, Lord, as we walk in that hope, the hope that hinges history, and we look forward to your return. Until then, Father, may we glorify Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.